Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Every Square Inch. My name is Robert Cunningham. This is the second half of a two-part series I am doing, trying to present a Christian paradigm for the unmarried life that is an increasingly common life in our culture these days. So in part one, I talked about the myths of singleness, wherein I essentially exposed the lies that we tend to believe about the unmarried life. And I was able to say that because Jesus himself remained single and celibate, those lies we believe cannot be true. It cannot be true that a spouse completes you um, because Jesus was unmarried and we dare not say that he was incomplete in his humanity. Things like that. So, after exposing the myths of singleness in this episode, I want to talk about the gifts of singleness, a more uh, proactive vision for the single life, I suppose you could say. And here we're going to turn to the Apostle Paul, who in talking about his unmarried life, he had this to say, now as a concession, not a command. So Paul is saying, listen, I'm not speaking with apostolic authority here. This is just my own opinion. He says, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, meaning I wish everyone was single, (laughs) but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So Paul views the married life and the single life both as a, quote, gift from God, one of one kind and one of another, meaning both are gifts. Um, And one is the gift of one kind, and one is the gift of another kind, Uh, but both are gifts. Now, I know many of my single friends view only marriage as a gift, and singleness perhaps as a curse. But this is a misunderstanding of what Paul means by gift. We use the word gift in two ways. One is like a present, a Christmas gift, for example. But we also use gifts to describe unique attributes that we've been given. So a gifted thinker, musician, athlete, and so forth. These are gifts. Now, when Paul uses the word, he predominantly uses it in the latter sense, not necessarily as a present to enjoy, but as a gift to be used, to be stewarded well. For instance, his discussion on spiritual gifts. And so in this way, a gift can actually be a burden that we bear. So my job description at my church is pastor of preaching and vision. And I think that accurately reflects my gifts. God has made me uh, a visionary, a thinker, a communicator, and so forth. And yes, of course I do find pleasure in my gifts. But can I be honest with you? There are days... I wish he made me differently. There are burdens that come with my gifts that are uh, difficult, that are exhausting at times. And the same can be said of your gifting. Now, view singleness and marriage that way as gifts given by God to be stewarded for his purposes. That's what Paul means when he calls singleness a gift, not necessarily a present, but a calling. 
um, for you to use for his great purposes. Okay, but how is it a gift? How am I to steward this calling that God has given me for this season of my life as long as he has me in it? What is the purpose of this gift? And just like in the first episode, I'm going to give us three. Three ways that singleness is to be viewed as a gift. And here they are. It's a gift to you, it's a gift to others, and it's a gift to God. First, it's a gift to you. Now, in my last in my last podcast, I discussed at length the myth that you need marriage to be complete. The lie that defines the telos, the goal of your life as marriage, as finding a spouse, that that's the end goal. I said that cannot be true. The telos instead is your glorification, the end of God's great work in your life. Now, when that becomes the telos, then Romans 8.28 makes sense. We know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Now, how you define that word good makes or breaks that verse. If good is the married life, if good is your felt happiness, if good is comfortable circumstances, then this verse does not make sense and falls apart. But if God is allowed to define what is good then yes, all things are indeed working together towards God's good end. And that includes your singleness. Right now, where you find yourself must be the best possible thing to get you there. Just as marriage is the best possible thing to get you there. Just as marriage may one day be the best possible thing to get you there. We just must hold fast to the truth that the there we are getting to is our future glory. That may not be what you and I prioritize, but our God is too good, too loving, too merciful, too committed to us to submit his priorities to our priorities. So singleness just like marriage, just like whatever situation any of us find ourselves in, is a sanctifying gift from our loving God for our good as defined by his vision of what is good. Secondly, your singleness is a gift to others. Because the unmarried life can feel uh, so awkward and at times stigmatized, in Christian circles, I really do try to err on the side of sensitivity and um, empathy with my single friends. But if I were to present a mild rebuke, maybe maybe rebuke is too harsh, an admonition, it would be this. Rather than wallow in discontentment over your singleness, Consider your singleness as a massive gift in the cause of loving your neighbor. Paul's biggest point in calling the single life a gift is how much it freed him from the many burdens and concerns that the married life brings with it and enabled him to give his entire life to his missionary calling that God had for him. We have got 
to recover and celebrate the uniqueness that only the single life provides. It is such a noble calling, full of so much potential good. The amount of time and energy and money, the ability for the single life to be used by God unto a legacy of glory and good. It really is an amazing opportunity. When God called me into marriage and fatherhood, what he called me to was to take the gifts and talents that he has given me and primarily direct them toward five people in this world. In this world of 7.8 billion people with unreached nations and endless issues of injustice to fight. But my call above all else are those five people. Now, I love my calling in life, and I do not regret it in the least, and I believe I will never regret limiting my focus to those five above all else. I don't think that's a decision I'll regret, and I think that is what God has for me. But I could not imagine what I could do. Listen, I know exactly what Paul is talking about in this passage. I really do. I wouldn't trade my life for anything, but were I single— my goodness, what I could be doing. And that's actually Paul's point. It's a very pragmatic point he's making. If you're married, you must prioritize your spouse and children. If not, you are failing to steward the calling that God has given to you as a spouse or a parent. But how does one fail to steward the calling of singleness? That is to say, we know what it means to neglect a marriage. We know what it means to neglect children. What does it mean to neglect your singleness? That calling. It would be the failure to use your vast resources for God's glory and your neighbor's good. So how about this? How about I'm, I'm single. I do not have dependents in my home. I'm going to pick an injustice in my city. And I am going to exhaust myself toward that cause in a way I could not do if I was married and parenting. How about I'm going to find a need that my local church community has, and I'm going to come to the leadership, and I'm going to say, you don't need to worry about that anymore. I've got that covered. I've got the time, energy, ability to take care of that one. How about... Um, I'm going to mentor neglected children in my community. Let me tell you right now, after an entire year of educational shutdown and kids home alone, we have a crisis on our hands. My unmarried brothers, do you know what a single mom would do if you asked to fill in the gap of fatherlessness through your devotion and mentoring I'm telling you, a single mom would start weeping at that offer. Our society is coming undone via the fatherless epidemic. Do something about it, brothers. You can. How about this? I'm going to rent an apartment. I'm going to purchase a home. I'm not going to wait for a wedding registry to fill it with nice things. I'm going to decorate it. 
I'm going to outfit my kitchen. I'm going to create this the most amazing space. I'm going to perfect recipes. I'm going to learn how to make craft cocktails. And I am going to open my home up as this just fountain of hospitality in my community. And instead of just waiting to be invited over to families' homes, I'm going to invite families into my home. I think you get the point. What I'm trying to say is that singleness is not an excuse for the prolonged bachelor or bachelorette lifestyle. It's a gift given to bless the world. So singleness is a gift to you. It is a gift to others. Finally, a gift to God. Now, what do I mean by that? I want to close this little series with a pastoral word to my unmarried brothers and sisters. And I'm speaking in-house here, by the way, if you're listening in. This is family talk um, among fellow followers of Jesus, particularly those who find themselves unmarried. My question to you is this. Is Jesus worth singleness? To follow Jesus is to say Jesus is worth whatever cross he calls me to bear. And as I have said, singleness is becoming an increasingly more common cross to bear for many Christians. Now, I'm not implying that singleness is unique to Christians. I know that is not the case. But I do believe finding a spouse is significantly more difficult as a Christian, at least as a Christian trying to hold to historical Christian ethics, meaning a Christian who's not willing to cohabitate, who believes sexual um, activity is reserved for, for within the safe confines of a covenantal vow, a Christian who says, my number one priority in a potential spouse is that they love Jesus like I love Jesus. And can we just state the obvious? In our day, those convictions limit your options to a small demographic within our society. I mean, I look, I look out over our congregation each week, and I'm amazed at the, all the lovely, smart, gifted, engaging, talented, amazing, I could go on and on and on with superlatives, singles in our church. And I know that if they would just cast off their prerequisites and settle for anyone who would give them attention— it would not take long for them to find a potential spouse. The quickest fix to your loneliness would be to forsake Christ and conviction. Well, I say that'd be a fix to your loneliness. It would be a temporary fix because there is no loneliness like the loneliness in a marriage like that where you just basically say, I'm going to compromise all my convictions just to get a spouse, and then you get that spouse, and you're in a marriage and utterly alone. But that aside, here's what I'm trying to say. Forsaking Christ and conviction is the easiest way to broaden your dating pool. But instead, these precious saints of the Lord have said, Jesus is worth it. So I will endure the awkwardly painful subculture of Christian dating, perhaps the greatest suffering of them all. <laughs> Nothing worse than the subculture of Christian dating. But I'll go through it. And even if marriage never comes to pass, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, 
it is well with my soul. I just want to pastorally reassure you, brothers and sisters, you will not regret that decision in the end. Jesus is indeed worth it. 10,000 times over, Jesus is better than a spouse. I know many of you would like to have both, and perhaps God will grant this desire of your heart. But for now, I hope you will view your singleness for what it is, a love offering to the God that you love, an opportunity to honor the Lord that you love by bearing this cross for his name's sake. Your cross is not pleasant, but it is beautiful. What a powerful testimony to a culture infused with the vain idol of rom-com romance that says to you, you cannot be happy unless you find your love story. What a testimony to protest that idol by saying Jesus is better. Sam Albury, a same-sex attracted British theologian who has chosen the celibate life, says this, Marriage shows the shape of the gospel. Singleness shows the sufficiency of the gospel. Do you, do, you understand, do you get that quote? Marriage shows the shape of the gospel. It is this holy imagery of Christ and his church. But singleness shows the sufficiency of the gospel. It is this holy imagery that Christ indeed is enough. And make no mistake about it, Jesus notices that sacrifice and he is proud of you. You may feel alone and forsaken by culture, and sadly, you may feel alone and forsaken by your church that doesn't know how to love um, unmarried friends within their midst. But you are not forsaken by Jesus. He will remember your devotion. He is pleased with your willingness to bear the cross of singleness for his namesake. Lovely is this gift you are presenting to him, and great will be your reward in heaven. In the meantime, when it gets hard and you feel lonely, I suggest you talk to Jesus about it because he understands. Quite literally, he understands. You know, this is something that you share with Jesus that I do not. This is, this is, a, this is a cross. This is an experience. This is a calling that you have that you all can talk about that I cannot share with him. A unique calling that Jesus and you have together. And he is waiting for you. That's the true arc of history, the telos of all things, not the, the book I talked about in my last episode, not lady in waiting, but bridegroom in waiting, and he is waiting for you. Why did Jesus not get married on earth? Because he is saving himself for the new heavens and the new earth, where there will be no marriage or giving of marriage any longer. I will lay down, Abby at the foot of Jesus, and she will lay me down. There will be no marriage or giving of marriage in heaven because the lesser shadow will give way to substance. And Jesus is that substance. Jesus will have his one bride, and you will be a part of that. The consummation of all things is a wedding feast with Christ as the bridegroom and the church as bride. And I have to believe 
that there will be a special measure of reward and joy when those who for his sake embrace the unmarried life enter into the eternal marriage of Christ. Until then, press on, brothers and sisters, in the gift that he has for you. All right, thanks for listening. I really do hope this will be a resource and encouragement to those who may be struggling in their singleness. I hope and pray it will be that for you. And um, Lord willing, we'll be back soon uh, for another topic and another episode of Every Square Inch.